First John chapter two. We're looking at verses seven through eleven this morning. And we also have side trips to John 13 and Matthew five. How many of you have been, have been with us through most or all of this first John, this epistle? OK, um, we have so many visitors, which is awesome. But um, if not, I'm going to need to catch you up to speed real, real quick. One of the things that we have noticed as we're studying this epistle, which is fancy word for letter, is that John, the, the writer, had four purposes, explicit purposes that he just uh, lays out there for us. Reasons that he is writing this book, or we should say the Holy Spirit is writing this letter through him. You guys want to see them? Do you have any choice? Uh, all right. First John chapter one, verse four, you see the first explicit purpose that he has. He says, we're writing this, that your joy might be full. So if you haven't had this uh, drilled into you yet, you might want to write down one purpose that he writes this book is that we might be filled with joy. Okay. Uh, chapter two, verse one, turn there real quick. He says, secondly, I'm writing this to you, my little children. He, he speaks lovingly and he says that you may not sin. So number two, you could say that he's writing this, uh, that we would be free from sin. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be sinless, but we sure certainly can sin less. Chapter two, verse one, free from sin. Chapter five, verse 13. Skip over there real quick. Yes, I know I skipped one. But chapter five, verse 13 he says, we're also writing this that you might have firm assurance. He says, I'm writing to you believers. He wrote the gospel of John more for unbelievers, but he writes this for us believers that you might know that you have eternal life in him. OK, firm assurance. And then the last one, which is not really the last one. Turn back to chapter two, verse twenty six. One last reason that he he's stated anyway, that he's written this, that you might fend off deception there were uh, false teachers who were trying to really confuse and uh, muddle up the issue of salvation and, and so many other things. Um, another thing that we've looked at that we've noticed as we've gone through this book is that tied in with all four of those things is this central theme of fellowship with God. The Bible has a fancy word for it, koinonia. It means to be in cahoots with God to uh, actually have things in common with a holy and living God. It's amazing. And when you begin to unravel this, you find out that fellowship with God is really the key to all of it. Look at John chapter one, verse four again. I'm writing that you might be filled with joy. And what you see in those previous verses right before that is the key to, to being filled with joy is to have fellowship with God in your presence is fullness of joy. It says in the scriptures um, to be free from sin. Chapter two, verse one. Well, if you are in fellowship with God, if you are walking in the light as he is in the light, you will find yourself sinning less and less. Chapter five, verse 13, firm assurance. Well, if you are fellowshipping with him, you will have firm assurance. You'll know where you're headed. You will have security. And then this last one. He writes this, that we might fend off deception. Well, the reason for that is that if we don't understand the truth and live by the truth and cling to the truth, then these Gnostics was the name. I'll get to that in a second. But imposters basically will come in and they will try to drag you away from fellowship with the living God. OK, it's all tied into fellowship with God. Have you have I beaten that into you yet? OK. Here's the deal. That last point, fend off deception. There were this group called the Gnostics, and 
They were heretical. They claimed to know God. They claimed to have this secret knowledge. That's what the word Gnostic means. It means knowledge. They claimed to have this new and secret and better knowledge of God uh, that you won't find in the Bible. Um, Their claim was that knowledge was the pathway to enlightenment. Okay, Um, that the smarter you get uh, in these things, and especially in our hidden knowledge, the closer you will get to God. They were very concerned with the newest and the latest, right? The fads. Uh, Hey, have you heard this new bit of truth? And you can't find it anywhere in the Bible, but isn't this neat? That kind of thing. Okay. now look at verse seven and you'll see John, our author, who spent three and a half years with Jesus, living, breathing, touching him. Uh, seeing him with his own eyes, hearing his own words, he says now to the beloved brethren, verse 7, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The Gnostics will tell you, look, you've got to search after the newest and the latest things. But he says, no, I write you no new commandment, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. John says right off, okay, guys, if you're looking for something new and, and fancy and something that nobody's ever mentioned before, says you're, you're looking in the wrong place. There's nothing new here that I'm going to tell you. He says, I'm going to remind you about some things that you've heard from the very beginning of your Christian walk. From the very beginning, I'm going to remind you of things that are foundational. Okay, so far so good. But now what? Verse 7, he says, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. But now look at verse eight. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Did you catch that? Verse seven. Look, I've got a commandment for you. It's old. It's nothing new. It's old. You had it from the beginning. You've heard it from the beginning. Now, verse eight, he says, like I was saying, here's a new commandment. Now, we know that that John is about 90 years old when he writes this. Is he having a senior moment? I uh, did a little bit of research on senior moments because I wouldn't know anything about them. Um, The irate customer calling the newspaper office loudly demanded to know where her Sunday edition was. Ma'am, said the employee, today is Saturday. The Sunday paper is not delivered until Sunday. There was a long pause on the other end of the phone, followed by a ray of recognition. I'll bet that's why there was no one in church today. An elderly couple had dinner at another couple's house, and after eating, the wives uh, left the table. They went into the kitchen. The two elderly gentlemen were talking, and one said to the other, Last night we went out to a new restaurant, and it was really great. I would highly recommend it. The other guy, Oh, yeah, what's, what's the name? First guy knits his brow in concentration. Finally says to the other guy, um, What's the name of that red flower that you give to someone? He, his friend replies, a carnation? No, no, no. The other one. Um, uh, the poppy? No, growls the man. You know, the one that's red and has thorns. His friend says, oh, you mean a rose? He says, yes, that's it. Then he turns to the kitchen and says, Rose, what's the name of that restaurant we went to last night? <laughs> Lastly, you've heard of the serenity prayer, right? It's the senility prayer. Grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked anyway. 
the good fortune to run into the ones I do and the eyesight to tell the difference. (laughs) So is John having a senior moment? Because in verse seven, he says, look, there's no new commandment. It's an old commandment that I write to you. But in verse eight, he says, oh, and by the way, here's a new commandment. It makes you want to put a question mark after those next few words. Which thing is true? Which thing is true? John, is it an old thing or a new thing? An old commandment or a new commandment? Well, John would say to you, yes, I know I'm 90 years old, but no, it's not a senior moment. It's both. It's both old and new. Turn with me to John chapter 13. If you accuse John, the apostle, of having a senior moment, you would have to do the same to Jesus. John 13. We're going to pick it up in verse 31. Judas has just left the upper room to go and betray Jesus. Okay, John 13, verse 31. So when he that is Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Then he says, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews previously, now I must say to you where I am going, you cannot come. You following so far? Jesus takes this moment right after Judas leaves and says, "Okay, guys, here's the deal. I'm going away and where I'm going, you can't come for now. So he says, so listen to me. Look at verse 34. Really important. The, the, The day that he's betrayed, the day that he's His last day on earth. You know how important things are when you've only got a certain amount of time. You want to get the right things out, right? Look at John 13, 34. Guys, I'm I'm not going to be here long. So a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Then he says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, on the eve of his crucifixion, he says to his guys, here's the deal. It's really important. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another. Now, out of those 11 guys, some of them had to have known their Old Testament. So some of them were probably thinking, uh, how is this new? Because in Leviticus 19:18 it says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's all the way back in Leviticus 19:18. Are they looking at him going, senior moment? In both texts, there's this command that is called new, but old. In both texts... First John chapter two, our text this morning and John 13, there's this commandment that is called old on one hand and new on the other. See, that is where John will be heading in our text this morning. But before before we leave John 13, maybe you're thinking, OK, I get it. I get the old commandment part. But how in the world is this a new commandment? Well, hopefully this will explain it. Look at John 13, 34 again. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Okay, that's the old. But here's the new. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Okay, that changes everything. He says, I'm expecting you to love each other the way that I have loved you. See, the old commandment 
love your neighbor as yourself has been around for a long, long time. And even that is more than we want to do in our flesh, right? But the the old commandment, um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In our fallen nature, we prefer something like do unto others and run. (laughs) Or do unto others and hire a really good lawyer. The command to treat others as we would want to be treated has been around from the beginning. But Jesus comes along on this night and says he raises the bar, says, "Okay, this is new. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, how did Jesus love them? How did he how does he love us? Probably hard to get your hands around even, but. You can look back in chapter 13 and see a great example. Chapter 13 is where Jesus washed these disciples' feet. Remember? Right. We know from the other Gospels that during this Last Supper, they were sitting around arguing about who was going to be the greatest. Who deserved to sit at his right hand? And what does Jesus do? He gets up. The king, the creator of all the universe, he literally exchanges his royal robes for servants garb and he washes their stinky feet. The lowest job on the totem pole, one that you wouldn't ask a servant to do unless they were the absolute lowest. You guys see that Jesus raised the bar on love by lowering himself. The creator God with skin on washing stinky, smelly feet of sinners who had just been bragging about how great they were. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. This isn't in my text, but it's a great reminder. A way that you can fulfill this commandment is to go out and surprise people by how much you love them. It's an age-old commandment, but it's new in its application. That is, humble yourself, serve others, do the unexpected, the unearned for the undeserving. That's how he loves. And that is new, really new, to do the unexpected, the unearned for the undeserving. That's John chapter 13. John chapter 15, you can turn there if you like. You're like, wait, you didn't mention that. It's two chapters. Come on, give me a break. John 15. Look at verse 12. You'll see he says it again. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, same new commandment that's old. But watch this. Here comes the application. Verse 13. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. So, Jesus says, I expect you to love each other the way I've loved you. Oh, and here's how far I went. Here's how far I'm going. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Now, we've mentioned this before. If you take this only literally, which I think we should take it literally, but if you take it only literally that you're supposed to lay down your life for your friends, you pretty much just get one shot. Right? One and done. But how this happens in real life is laying down your life one decision 
at a time. One argument at a time. This looks in my life when I do it. Like me laying down my rights. My comfort. My pride. This looks like me laying down what I think I deserve, what I know that I've earned. In your life, this might look like laying down the pound of flesh that you so badly think that you deserve when you've been wronged. Might look like this, laying down your desire to say, I told you so, even though you did tell them so. This might look like you laying down that desire to make others pay for what they did to you. Husbands, wives, this might look like laying down the last word in an argument. You're right to it. Okay, let's go back to our text. First John chapter 2. We're up to verse 8 now. John says, look, I'm giving you an old, an age-old commandment that Jesus makes brand new in terms of scope and application. Verse 8, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him, then it says, and in you. Okay, okay, now it just got convicting. I mean, is verse 8 true in him and in you? To love that way? I mean, I know it's true in him. He, he washed the feet of the undeserving. He laid down his life for the undeserving in this room. Even when he died on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I know it's true in him. Is it true in you? Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. Question is, are you willing to love? sacrificially to love till it hurts maybe to love when it hurts perhaps today it's time to make that decision of this willingness at least to radically love the way that he did look at verse 8 it says because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining now what does that mean I think I need to be honest and say I'm not quite sure. I don't know exactly what this means at the end of verse 8. I read many commentaries this last week. What I want to do is explain things so that everybody understands it. But when I don't understand it, that's a bit of a problem. Read many commentaries, heard many sermons, and every single one of them seemed like had a different take on these last few words here in in verse 8. And then some of them just glossed over them. You know, I just read it and didn't say a thing. I'm like, thanks a lot. Here's some possible interpretations of this. That the commandment to love as Jesus loved is so critical because time is short, right? That he's coming, that the light is already with us, okay? Um, here's another one. That the kingdom of darkness in this world is passing and the kingdom of light is already shining. So it's time to choose. All those make sense. Here's another one that maybe the darkness in us as Christians is passing away and the light is already shining. I don't know. I just don't know. In my desperation to try to discover what it is that the Lord is actually saying. And and by the way, you shouldn't feel guilty if you don't understand all of it. Even Peter in the 
the, the book, writes about Paul and says, man, that guy's hard to understand sometimes. But in my desperation, I, I did discover something that I think is interesting, but you really truly just need to take it or leave it. Maybe it's best to leave it. Be Bereans, listen to it, and then go, eh, whatever. Or, if it makes sense, then go with it. But I found an interesting parallel in this. Look down, First John, John chapter 2, look down at verse 18. We're going to get here eventually. At my pace, we'll probably get here sometime in 2011. But First John chapter 2, verse 18, he's speaking to the church and he says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. So false uh, teachers, that kind of thing. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. See what I mean about confusing? <laughs> um, Basically, here's the deal. There were there were false teachers. And I think probably it was the Gnostics, these guys that we were learning about, who apparently have left the fellowship. And because they've left the fellowship, these imposters have proved that they're imposters. Make sense? Anybody tracking with me yet? Um, turn it back to John 13 now. I was going to say I promise this will make sense, but all I can promise is that it will make sense to me. <laughs> John 13, there's imposters who have left the fellowship and proved that they were imposters, right? Now look, John 13, the same text that we were just looking at, but just back up just a little bit. You remember the thing that happened right before Jesus gave this new commandment. Look at it, verse 30. Having received the piece of bread, Judas then went out immediately and it was night. And in our text, John, the apostle, is going to speak about darkness and light. So what we have in First John chapter 2 and in John 13 is an imposter who proves that they're imposters by leaving into the darkness. See, Judas was part of the fellowship up until that moment, right? He left the fellowship of Jesus, the light of the world, and he ran into the night. He ran into the darkness. And in a way, you could say that Judas took the darkness, at least part of it, with him when he went. You guys have heard the phrase, right? Everyone lights up a room, some when they enter, some when they exit. So Judas leaves, and then Jesus says an amazing thing. When you think about it, this is not what I would say. But read with me, verse 31. You guys want to participate? Okay. You guys say the word glorify or glorified. That's your word. Here we go. Verse 31. Right after Judas leaves, so when he, Judas, the son of perdition, had gone out into the night. Here we go. Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified. and God is glorified. in him. If God is glorified. in him, God will also glorified. him in himself and glorified. him immediately. What's the word glorify mean? Light. To illuminate, to shine. Is it weird to anybody else that he's just been betrayed? Judas goes out into the night and Jesus goes, now it's time to shine. It's interesting to me, Jesus' darkest hour, that is being betrayed by a friend, 
becomes his greatest hour. When the light shines brighter than ever. Application time. Maybe you have been wronged or betrayed or stabbed in the back or forsaken. Can I say you never shine more like Jesus than when you love in that kind of darkness? Does that make sense? Jesus says, now is the time to shine. And then right after that, he says, guys, I'm giving you a new commandment. I want you to love each other, not just the way they understood it in the Old Testament. I want you to understand. I want you to love each other the way I have just shown my love. Now, turn back with me. First John, chapter two, verse eight. You guys fingers getting a workout this morning. First John chapter two, verse eight. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you. Perhaps he was saying the whole betrayal thing. Don't know. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness, maybe he's talking about the Gnostics who have left the fellowship is passing away and the true light is already shining. Maybe he was saying to his audience then and maybe to even some this morning. Yeah, I know you've been burned. I know you've been forsaken. I know that it seems like this is the darkest hour. Look, this is your chance to shine. The darkness is passing. And the true light, who's the true light? Jesus is already shining. Perhaps he was saying the Gnostics, the enlightened ones have left. But Jesus, the light of the world is still here. And now's your chance to shine. But you have a choice to make. The choice is yours if you're going to shine or not. Look at verse 9. First John chapter 2, verse 9. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. We've seen this phrase several times already, and we're going to keep seeing it in this epistle. He who says, followed by, but then he who doesn't do this or who does this. Right? Kind of like a lawyer saying, look, you can say what you want, but this is what is reality. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Now, let me see if, if we can gather our thoughts here for a second. What did I say was kind of the, the central theme, the key to understanding the book? In, in all four of these, these cases, right? Uh, chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 26, chapter 5, verse 13. All of his expressed purposes to writing it. What's the key to all of it? Fellowship with God. Remember that? Yeah? Okay. A few of you. If fellowship with God is the key to all of it, and what we saw in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, one of the very first things that John said to us, look, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You can't say that you have fellowship with him if you are in darkness. Right? We've discovered that to have this joy of the Lord, it's, it's to be in fellowship with him. It's to hang out with him. It's to have a constant uh, relationship with him. It's the key to all of it. 
And what we've seen over the last few weeks, you can, you're welcome to go online, get the tape, or we have CDs. We've seen some amazing truths that are really important for us to enjoy this fellowship with God. One is this, constant confession. 1 John chapters uh, 1, verses 8 through 10. Walking in the light through confession. Just being real with God and with others. Walking in the light. Confession is key. Keeping His commandments is key to fellowship with God. We saw that just last Thursday in the preceding verses. That is, obedience is key to enjoying fellowship with Him. But here, guys, we see a new thing. Communion with each other is key to fellowship with with God. Does that, does that you see that? For us to really enjoy fellowship with God that gives us joy, that gives us amazing joy that in our terrible circumstances maybe, for us to enjoy that, one of the things we have to do is still have communion with others. Verse 9, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. And God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. How do you have fellowship? God, light, us, darkness. You see what he's saying here? Is you can constantly confess, which is a good thing. You can keep his commandments. But if you hate your brother, you are out of communion with God. You're not enjoying fellowship with God. You are, in his words, fooling yourself. You're not walking in fellowship with a God who is light. You are still, it says, walking in darkness. Picture, picture God is over here. He is radiating light, okay? Indescribable, unapproachable light, it seems, right? Even though God has made a way that we can be near him. But let's say he's over here, but you're over here, blindfolded in the dark. And you are declaring to anybody who will listen with your blindfold on in the darkness, wow, I love the view. Man, this is awesome, this fellowship I'm experiencing with God. That's the picture he's painting here. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Here's the point. You can be, and maybe some of you are, you can be enlightened with great wisdom. The wisdom of Solomon. Like, like the Gnostics, supposedly. You can be enlightened with great Bible knowledge. You might even be walking in the light of obedience, which is important. You might even be walking in the wonderful light of confession. But here he says, if you are not walking in the light of love with your brother and your sister, you're still walking in darkness, no matter what you think or what you say. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. In case you are a skeptic in your Like, well, John said it, but, you know, did Jesus say it? Oh, yeah. Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 23. This is how important it is to Jesus. Matthew 5, 23. He says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You guys see what he's saying? Look, if you have, if you knowingly have hurt your brother or your sister, if you've done something that has hurt them and you know about it and you haven't done anything about it, 
If there's something, let me put it this way. If there's something between you and your brother or sister in Christ, maybe even in this room, then there's something between you and the Father. It's pretty much that plain. If there's something, if if you, let's say I, I chose the second service because I can't be around that person in the first service. Or I sat over here because I know that that person always sits over there. If there's something between you and that fellow believer, God says there's something between you and me. And Jesus says, you drop everything. You be first reconciled to them and then you can reconcile with me and my father. That's a pretty bold statement. He's saying that it's that important. Matthew chapter five basically says, guys, if you have offended your brother or your sister and you know about it and it's just hanging out there and you're just leaving it there, you go to them. You go to them. Matthew five says that now it's even more interesting. Jesus approaches it from both sides because he it's that important that we have fellowship one with another. Matthew chapter 18. He says, let's say you're the one who's not you didn't do the offending, but you're the offended. Matthew 18, you can turn that if you like. Let's say you're, you didn't do the offending, but you are the offended. Guess what? Jesus says, go to that person. Look at uh, chapter 18, verse 15. We, we know it as the uh, church discipline rule, and, and it's good. He basically lays out how you're supposed to deal with conflicts in the church uh, interpersonally. But I want you to notice, 18, 15, if you're looking. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's the first step. Privately, in love, and check this out. If he hears you, you have what? Gained your brother. We look at Matthew 18 and we go, all right, well, I'm going to go down the list and he's probably not going to do any of them, so I'm going to nail him to the wall. No, Matthew 18, the very beginning, Jesus says, look, the whole point of this is that you would gain your brother. You would come back into fellowship with him or her so that you can be in fellowship with me. If you walk in the light, if you walk in love, we're going to see. It means you're walking in fellowship with God who is light. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, this brings the possible applications just begin to explode. All of the different things that we, the ways that we can apply this today, I'd be surprised if, on, if we honestly each look at this, if there isn't somebody or someone or some situation that we could apply this. Think about all the ways this, this could be applied. Number one, you are, you've been offended. Or I'm sorry, excuse me, you are the offender. Let's say you're the offender. You're the one who you really did somebody wrong. You really did something that hurt them and you know about it. And you haven't done a thing about it. Jesus says to you, Matthew 5, look, don't pretend that you're drawing near to God today by being in this room. Go to your brother or your sister. Instead of being stubbornly refusing to be reconciled, you go to them. You make it right and then you come back and you fellowship with me. Here's another possible application. You are the one who's been hurt, burned, backstabbed, betrayed, whatever it is. But you don't want confrontation. 
So instead, you backbite, gossip, complain, or just grumble or stew within yourself. Well, Matthew 18 says you're supposed to go to that brother or sister and listen. This is really important. You're supposed to lay it out in a loving way that you might gain fellowship with them. Not that you might school them. Not that you might teach them a lesson. Not that you might punish them. That you might gain them, Jesus says. That you might have fellowship with them and therefore with a God who loves sacrificially. That's one. And here's another application. Maybe there are people in this room who a brother has confessed to you. Sister has asked for your forgiveness. And you're refusing to forgive. You're holding back your forgiveness because they have not earned it in your mind. Or because they might fail you again. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love you? Did he say, well, you just haven't earned it yet. Sorry. Did he say, well, you know what? I'm afraid you might do it again. And I'm no fool. So, sorry. No. Jesus loved by showing and demanding of his kids forgiveness. Or maybe you, you say, well, they've asked for forgiveness, but and I've told them I forgive them, but I don't forget. I mean, I forgive them for now, but I might need this information later. Is that how Jesus works with you? The Bible says, thank the Lord that when he forgives us, our sins are as far as us as the east is from the west. If he'd said north to south, you could go, okay, well, that's so many miles. He said east and west. The Bible says that Jesus says, when, when I forgive you, I toss those sins, the offenses, into the sea of forgetfulness. But we toss them into the, a really small little retention pond that we can fish back out of. You guys understand? The applications are enormous in, in the possibilities. Any of these things, unforgiveness, failing to ask for forgiveness, even the, uh, what seemingly would be the, the lesser offense of just not bringing it up because... It's uncomfortable, though you're the one who's been offended. Even that will keep you out of fellowship because you're out of fellowship with each other. will keep you out of fellowship with God who is light and in him there is no darkness at all. On the other hand, 1 John chapter 2, verse 10. Here's your choices, guys. 1 John chapter 2, verse 10. He who loves his brother abides in the light. We've seen that word abides. It's just to settle in, to relax, to... Be settled in it. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. That's verse 10. But verse 11. But he who hates his brother is in darkness. That is spiritually, relationally with God and walks in darkness. That is practically makes decisions that are governed by darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You guys see verse 10 and verse 11 are two very different pictures of two very different supposed brothers believers one verse 10 is walking in the light in safety 
There's safety in light with a clear vision, right? He's not going to stumble himself and he's not going to stumble others. He's not going to wreck his own walk and he's not going to wreck the walk of other people. That's verse 10. Verse 11, on the other hand, is a guy who is groping around in the dark, pretending that he has great fellowship with God. He's groping around in the dark. He has no vision. And in darkness, guys, is danger. Right? His next step, for all he knows, if he's in darkness, could be disastrous. Verse 11 says that this guy is the kind of guy who's headed for a fall. His hatred has blinded him, and he has no idea how blind he is. Question, which are you? Verse 10 or verse 11? Verse 10, he who loves his brother abides, is nice and settled at home in the light. He's settled. He has safety. His theme song would be, I can see clearly now the rain is not. Right? But verse 11, he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness. His theme song is like the prince of darkness. This, hopefully, if you deal with it right this morning, this could be life-changing and encouraging for you. How many of you were with us on Thursday, learned about blessed assurance that comes through obedience? You'll find that in like verses 3 through 6. Obedience to him, to his commands, it says, brings this blessed assurance. The fact that we, we know that we know him. Okay. He says, look, if you really want to know that you know him, if you want to have firm assurance, a blessed assurance, keep my commands. You know what his number one command is? Love one another. First Peter four, verses seven and eight reads this way. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Listen, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. For it says love will cover a multitude of sins. It's job one. It's priority number one. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Listen to this in Romans. um, I don't remember the chapter. Um, It says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Maybe 13. Uh, Verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In the book of Romans, he's saying, look, if it's too much work to, to figure out all of the commands, to please the Lord and to know that you're in walk, fellowship with him, concentrate on this. Love one another. Look, if you love your wife, she's one of the one another's, you will not commit adultery. Right? If you actively pursue other folks in love, you'll make the right decision. You will not murder. You will not steal. You won't lie. You won't covet. If there's any other commandment, all of these things are included in this one verse, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You guys see it? I love this because it, it breaks it down to something I can actually get and understand and, and put into practice. Love one another. That is the, the beginning and the end, pretty much, of what he requires. So let me just close with this one question, guys. 
What do you need to do today to walk in fellowship with God who is light? Because if you hate your brother, it says you're in darkness. What is it that you practically need to do today to make right with another brother or sister that you might walk in great fellowship with him? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the example that you give. Lord, you loved us first with a a ferocious love, Lord, an unfailing love, an unquitting love. Lord, you came king of all the universe and you washed feet. Help us, Lord, to love like that, to love one another like that. Lord, you came and you died to yourself. You laid down every single right and privilege. Help us, Lord, to love like that. Lord, I I believe that you desire that some of us, maybe all of us, Lord, would make decisions today that would glorify you. Would maybe take radical steps to seek after this fellowship with you that you promise if we walk in the light as you are in the light. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.